0: This is Angela Lucier of the Speaker Sisterhood, hanging out with Ryan today on the World of Speakers podcast. Today we're talking about how to prepare yourself effectively before you get on stage, not just your thoughts, but also your mind, body, and spirit. And we're gonna talk about how to change the world through your words. Welcome to the World of Speakers podcast brought to you by Speaker Hub. In each episode, we interview a professional speaker and reveal their very best tips and tricks. You'll learn to improve your presentation skills, keep your audience engaged, and learn how to grow your business to get more gigs and make more money. Here's your host, Ryan Folland.
1: Ahoy, everyone. We are back. You are here with me, Ryan Folland. And today, get your ears ready because they cannot and should not be loose because we've got Angela Lucier, who is the CEO (laughs) and founder of Speaker Sisterhood. She's also good at laughing, and I have a good feeling this will be a fun time today. Angela, I hope your ears are nice and tight. Uh, how are you doing today
0: <laughs> doing great my ears are screwed on perfectly
1: <laughs> excellent excellent well why don't we start off to find a little bit information about you I mean who is Angela Lucier and what is the speakers of uh, speakers sisterhood or speaker of sisterhood
0: speaker sisterhood
1: speaker sisterhood <laughs> yeah all right well, so we already know that you like to laugh, so that's cool. We can get past that. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but how did you find yourself into creating a sisterhood of speaking for the ladies?
0: Well, it's probably the least likely story you'll ever hear. So, hang on to your seat.
1: <laughs> okay, I'm I'm hanging on. Wait, wait, no seriously, let me lock in cuz I can swivel. <laughs> Okay, we're in.
0: Do you have a seatbelt and a helmet, too?
1: (laughs) No, shoulder straps. It's a lot less (laughs) intrusive.
0: (laughs) Well, uh, I was really shy growing up, and I think that's because I was really tall. And I don't know how tall you were when you were 12, but I was six feet tall. (laughs) And I was way taller than the boys and taller than my friends. And because of that, I was made fun of a lot. And I was constantly called names like Ogre and Green Giant and, you know, just boys did not want to dance with me at the dance. And it was pretty uncomfortable. And it was a huge struggle in just trying to feel normal. So the best way to deal with that was to just kind of disappear and like become a wallflower and be invisible to avoid being made fun of. And that worked really well throughout high school and college. But then when I got to my first job, after I graduated, I started to notice this trend in my office. And that was that all the leaders also had this one trait in common, that was that they were all amazing communicators. And not only that, they were really good public speakers. And that was like a terrifying day to to recognize that because I had spent all my life trying to hide. And now I realized if I wanted to move up in my career and be a leader, I'd have to be seen. And so I had to make this decision. Like, do I want to just be shy forever and hope people notice me? Or do I want to build the skill set of public speaking so I can get up on stages and inspire people and lead them? And after about a year of thinking about it, I decided to try learning public speaking. And I joined Toastmasters and I spent five years going to meetings, learning how to speak, crying a lot, Um, (laughs) just trying to do everything I could to get over that fear. And eventually I did. And I really started to enjoy public speaking. And in 2009, I gave a TED Talk. I published my first book. I started my first business in 2010, became a professional speaker, started to speak around the country at conferences and colleges and started to notice that there were not a lot of women on stages. There were a lot of conferences going on, but not a lot of women up there kind of sharing their experiences and their voice. And a couple of years ago, I decided I wanted to help more women feel more confident in front of groups. And I founded the Speaker Sisterhood. And it's a network of public speaking clubs for women who want to find their voice and find their power through their words.
1: Wow. Wow. Well, that sounds like a very unlikely, but, uh, you know, a tall tall order to fill there, right? Now, you asked about my height, and I think that I was six foot when I was that young, but I was not, and I'm still trying to get there. So it's always been a mind over matter. And my big, (laughs) for me, in sixth grade, I crushed it on the volleyball, right? And then seventh grade, everyone got taller. Eighth grade, everyone got taller. So I, I stopped crushing it, and that's when I... Sort of pivoted from my my height advantage of volleyball into other sports like goaltending for ice hockey. <laughs> you can't be ah. that tall, so that's cool. Well, it's always fun to hear people's path, and I am a fellow Toastmaster, and I think that's great. I probably didn't do as much crying, but I did more sort of laughing. But it's <laughs> it, it is really taps into all those emotions. So I'm curious. Within that five years, like when did you start the Toastmasters process?
0: When I was 25, I started okay. speaking. Yeah.
1: And then you've got your icebreaker and then you've got the 10 different speeches and then, you know, you've got your advance and stuff like that. Did you ever get into the competitions as well?
0: Yeah, I did. I won a couple of competitions. I won the humorous speech contest. I got all the way to the district level. And nice. then I also won the evaluation contest and the international speech contest. I loved that.
1: Yeah, it's a fun element of the speaking, which kind of, you know, gamifies it and makes it that much more serious because you've got something to compete for and to and all that. Yeah, absolutely. Tell me me about your TED talk. What was the topic of that?
0: That was called Reinventing Work, and I gave that in Washington, D.C., and it was about the, a book I had just written called The Anti-Resume Revolution, and it was about trying to find work that complements your creativity and your talents and how to do that in a way that was different from just submitting your resume and sitting back and waiting for your phone to ring.
1: And where throughout this, you know, this sort of, it almost seems like a little plunko-ish where you're you're all over the place, but still going in the same direction, right? Yeah. Was the your consciousness of the speaker sisterhood sort of throughout or did it just have did you have that epiphany moment? How did that sort of occur?
0: You know, it was kind of interesting. I was doing an accelerator program a couple of years ago because I wanted to shift directions from business and career coaching to something a little bit more niche. And I was thinking like, What am I good at? And I started journaling one night and I came up with these three questions to ask myself. What am I good at? You know, where have I been most successful? And what do people always ask me about? And when I looked at all the lists I had made, there was only one thing that was consistent among all three lists, and that was public speaking. And when I noticed that, I thought, okay, so what kinds of questions have people been asking me? And I realized there was this trend. It was mostly women, mostly women who own businesses and wanted to go out and speak at conferences and build up their public speaking skills because they were like the face of their company that were asking me about public speaking and didn't feel satisfied with Toastmasters as the only option. And it was kind of in that moment that I realized, yeah, like if people want to learn public speaking, there really only is one place to go. And that was where I went. But what if that's not a perfect fit for everybody? So I thought maybe I could build something a little bit different that specifically meets the needs of women. And so what we do in Speaker Sisterhood is we do a lot of experiential teaching, like they give get up and give their own speeches. And we use public speaking as a tool for self-discovery, which has a kind of a more interesting angle for women. And a lot of the exercises that I put in the curriculum help them to learn about themselves while giving speeches, which kind of like brings in my career counseling background.
1: So it's not just a hypothetical sort of virtual place, but you actually meet and you have a structure and a curriculum in the sort of throwback to Toastmasters-ishness.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's 26 clubs right now and I'm building it through licensing and they have a whole curriculum. There's a whole structure to every meeting and they are going through a year-long curriculum to learn how to speak and to learn more about themselves. And we also have virtual clubs too.
1: Wow, that's exciting. Yeah. So from the growth perspective of this speaker sisterhood, what's your vision with it? Like flash forward a couple of years, five years, what do you want to see have happen with it?
0: Oh, Ryan, hold on to your chair again. Oh, no, oh. I'm strapped in
1: already. We're already past that. <laughs> oh <my
0: gosh. laughs> well, by the end of 2018, I want to have hundred clubs. And in the next couple of years, I'd like to have, probably in the next five years, have 5,000 clubs globally. And because as I sit and, I run a couple of the clubs myself and I watch the transformation taking place within these women. I realized that this training should actually be done by every woman because it helps with so many different elements of her life, not just getting up to speak, but also to ask for more money in a job interview, to go home and say to her spouse something that she's never said before to be able to tell her friends how she really feels and what she really wants. You know, these are all things that we're not really taught in school, but by going to speaker sisterhood, they get that confidence and the courage to say what they want. And that is life changing.
1: Yeah. Very cool. I I mess around with people sometimes and I ask them, I'll even set up the question to where, you know, how you can ask questions and people sort of lean towards one of the answers, but I'll say it in a nonchalant. So, you know, do you, are you a public speaker? You know, is that something that you do? kind of set them up for it, right? But nine out of 10 times, people just say, oh, no. And I'll say, well, congratulations, you are now you just spoke in public. If you speak in public, you're a public speaker. And it's a scientific fact that you can't argue either, right? So it's this idea of just the mentality of getting people into an environment where they can actually practice and get over that paradigm that it's not something they can do. You know, for Toastmasters, that's a big part of it. But you've almost up that level because now you're doing it specifically for sort of a, you know, this, this sisterhood where everybody can kind of band together.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the support piece is really important just to be in a group of 15 women consistently that you can trust and that you bond with and then kind of ups the ante every time you give a speech because now you want to share more and be even more vulnerable and more courageous and you keep surprising yourself every time.
1: Are the sisterhood only for sort of those who are, you know, a little bit older, more mature? Or do you have kind of a, a fun window or wing where it gets into, you know, early exposure for young women and getting them sort of on that right path?
0: It, the age ages range from 20 to 70. Our average ra- age is 50. And we now have a young professionals group in the Boston area because we do want to get more younger women interested in it. But we're noticing that our members are, you know, 45, 55, somewhere in that range.
1: Interesting. I want to, before we get into the speaking tips and before we even get too much further, for somebody who's listening right now and they're like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. Is it as simple as going to, you know, the speakersisterhood.com or what's the best way to point them to it?
0: Yeah. Go to speakersisterhood.com. We have a club directory on there. You can see if there are any clubs in your area. And if not, you can definitely join the virtual club. And there's a bunch of information about there on on um, benefits of membership and kind of what else we have to offer.
1: Excellent. Okay. I want to unpack some of the words you were using when describing the benefits of this sisterhood. And that was everything from communicating to a friend about what it is that you want to asking for more money in a, in a job situation I want to dive real quick before we get into the tips about the different components of communication. Because sometimes we think of communication as public speaking. You have to be a speaker. You're a keynote. You're doing workshops. But it seems like you're really breaking that mold and spreading it to something that is more applicable to um, way more than somebody who just wants to share a message up on stage. And I want to break down maybe if you have those different types or what are the categories within communication that people can really focus on?
0: Well, what happens is when you get up on in front of a group of people and you give a speech and you've been telling yourself your whole life that you can't give a speech, no one cares about what you have to say, you're not good enough, you're going to blank, you're not going to remember what to say, and then you stand up there for five minutes and you deliver the speech, and maybe it's not perfect, but you do it, and then you go back to your seat and you sit down, the first thing you're thinking is, oh my God, I did it. I can't believe I did it. I didn't think I could do that and then you start to build confidence in yourself because you realize that you actually have what it takes to do the things that you think you can't do. And when you do that enough times, you start to feel like you're more capable and you're you have more value and more worth. And when you truly believe those things about yourself, having those Those conversations, like asking for more money in a job interview, feels really easy because you already filled up that well inside of yourself that has that confidence that you need in order to just ask a question like that. So it kind of like the public speaking becomes the tool for building communication skills in other areas of your life without actually focusing on those areas in the training.
1: Gotcha. So it all, it all goes downhill essentially. So you're at the top of the waterfall, getting people comfortable to sort of jump and wherever that confidence and current, it's almost like a, I'm coming up with this right now, the confidence current, right? So if if you, first of all, you got to be brave enough to go from the base of whatever rock or cliff or, you know, waterfall that's coming and you've got to, you've got to invest the time and the energy and the effort to climb up that hill, whether there's a rope thrown down by the speaker sisterhood, or there's people that you're standing on their shoulders, or you're just sort of crawling and scraping to get to the top is is one thing. And when you're there, it's like good, you feel great, but now you've actually got to open your mouth, you've got to speak, you take that jump, and granted that you can hold your breath for a long time and get past that initial sort of jitters and, and fear, and you come up, you grasp for air, and that's when you sit down in your chair. It's like you now have this. I'm visualizing this current of confidence that just kind of you're floating in all the way down the river, to wherever you end up.
0: Yeah, exactly. I like That's it. Exactly. What-
1: all right. So in order to get people up on the top of this waterfall, so that they can speak and yell as they jump off, and then ride the confidence in a current. Now let's dig into sort of what the fundamentals are, the medium of mentals are, and the advancedamentals are. I just made up the last two, by the way.
0: Oh, okay. I was like, I don't know those.
1: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, some. You know, I'm I'm such a confident speaker. I'll just make up stuff as I'm saying it. I'll hear it come out of my mouth and be like, "That's interesting. It's not in the dictionary yet, but maybe it will be." So like for it. For the, the basics, right? Let's do the basics and let's do some some mediums and let's do some advances. What are some of the core things that people can take away? And all of you men out there, you can listen to this too. We're focused on the ladies today, but I'm assuming a lot of this is applicable for communication from humans, but let's break it down. Yes. Like, What are some of the foundational stuff that people are going to learn that they wouldn't have maybe thought about? Like this crazy advice that is so in front of people's face, but they just don't do it because somebody like you isn't sharing it with them.
0: Well, being a successful speaker or communicator is about three basic things. It's about your body, it's about your mind, and it's about your spirit. And I want to talk about all three. And when I talk about body, you know, people think communication, that's about voice, that's about putting together thoughts, that's about organizing your ideas. And yeah, that is a huge part of it. But also, you have to have that confidence and poise and energy that matches your words because only 10% of communication is what you're actually saying. And if you're standing in front of a group of people and your shoulders are raised up to your ears and you're a nervous wreck and you're breathing, panting like a dog, no one's really listening to anything you're saying. They're feeling bad for you. They're feeling tense. They're wondering when it's gonna end. They're having a hard time following you. They're distracted. And so your body has to be relaxed in order to get your message across. And a couple ways to do that is to practice these these really simple little techniques before you start speaking and like when speaking engagements or interviews aren't even on the horizon so that you can get your body prepared for when that game time comes, it'll just know what to do. So one thing to do is breathing exercises. And these are things that I've learned in yoga that I've taken off the mat and have used before conferences, before giving keynotes. And it helps so much because if you're in the middle of a sentence and you run out of air, (laughs) it can be really hard to kind of get, get back on track because now you're trying to gasp for air and your audience is kind of gasping for air too, because they're empathizing with you. So one thing you can do is called the four, eight, seven technique. And that means you breathe in for four seconds, you hold your breath for eight seconds, and then you breathe out for seven seconds. And you do that 10 times in a row. And what it does is, it kind of resets your breathing pattern so you're not doing those like short shallow breaths and it helps to relax your nervous system and it relaxes your mind instead of having that hamster wheel of thoughts of what if this goes wrong what if I forget what if they don't like me what if you kind of get away from that and you just start counting and it calms your mind so everything is centered and more relaxed and at ease wow do you want to practice that for a second yeah
1: okay let's do this <laughs> group so wait so it's four is Step me through this. Four, eight, seven.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Four, eight, seven. You breathe in for four seconds. You hold your breath for eight seconds and then you breathe out for seven seconds.
1: Okay. So, so I can count
0: for you and we could do it twice.
1: Yeah. I was going to say, let's do that. You count. You be the the cue because, you know, just yeah. like chewing gum and, and breathing is hard. <laughs> All right. So so we've, yeah. we've just turned this podcast to, into an active breathing, somewhat throwback to meditation, <laughs> yoga, namaste-ness. Okay.
0: Yes, yes. You want to close your eyes, and if anyone listening wants to do it with us, please feel free. Unless you're driving, keep your eyes open. (laughs) All right. So, (laughs) So, breathe in for four seconds. One, two, three, four. Hold for eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Out for seven. One, two, three, four five, six, seven. In for four. One, two, three, four. Hold for eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Out for seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Um, Now imagine doing that. <laughs> imagine doing that 10 times in a row. Do you feel any different right now or
1: So a couple, couple comments. One, for some reason, your seconds were, you know, they were, they were pretty on spot, but a little fast. And so for some reason, while you were counting, I'm pretty sure my heart beat at the same beat. Like all of a sudden there's a match. So like I found this weird internal rhythm and I'm glad I wasn't counting because then that would have been trouble, like problematic. But yes, I feel that the hamster slowed down on the wheel. Didn't stop, Mm -hmm. but it Mm -hmm. slowed down. I think after eight more times, the hamster would have left the, uh, the wheel.
0: Yeah. The hamster leaves the building. After about five or six, it just everything starts to feel really like quiet. And then you can enter the space feeling like you're you're more grounded. And when you're more grounded, your audience can attach to your ideas more easily because they're not consumed or distracted by any nervous energy or, you know, lack of breathing you're doing on stage. So that's one piece. That's one way you can prep your body. And another way you can prep your body is by preparing your face. <laughs> really? Okay. So a lot of people, yeah. a lot of people hold a lot of stress and tension in their jaw and in their neck. And if you, if you're speaking, you're using your jaw a lot. And if your jaw is kind of locked because it's so tense, it's harder to enunciate and be clear with your words. And if you're mumbling or not speaking clearly, you're not doing a service to your audience. So one way that you can help to relax your jaw is something I learned from a voice coach, Alisa uh, Weinzimmer, who works with actors in, in theater. And she has them do this before they get on stage all the time. Is it
1: the, uh, uh, uh is that one?
0: It's kind of like that, but you do it with your lips instead. It's, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. That.
1: and then also you, you, you double that with the, uh, like you're sort of shaking your own hand. And then, you know, I'm strapped into my chair, so it's tough to get the movement going. But like, you just shake your hands and that happens as well, right? A little loose jaw.
0: Yeah, yeah, you can do that too. And when you're doing the this noise, you want to be hanging upside down, like not not hanging upside, but like have your head kind of down by your feet, just like you know flopped over with your arms hanging on the floor, because that helps to release a lot of that tension in your neck and your shoulders and your face too.
1: Okay, when you said hang upside down, I thought for a minute this is
0: getting <laughs> pulled. This is
1: cool, but I'll come with one of those little machines, little inverted things. Okay, so just just hang your head over. I got it. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, so you do that for maybe 30 seconds or so a couple minutes before your speech and if you're in a busy area and you can't just do that in the middle of a a, you know an event space you can always go in the bathroom and just make that noise (laughs) and it really helps to relax your face and the other thing it does is it's funny so it makes you laugh and when you laugh you relieve stress too and you tend to take yourself a little less seriously. Cause you kind of remember like, okay, I'm allowed to have fun. This can be enjoyable. This doesn't have to be complete stress and tension.
1: Right. Right. Okay. So we got the breathing. We got the, <laughs> I, although you really got it. You got really got to focus. <laughs> I'm not getting the ripple effect. <laughs> Boom. Okay. And I would bend, I would bend over, but I'm strapped into my chair. So that's not fair. Right. Yeah. What about the scrut? The, what about the, the pickle face, like the scrunch face and then the scream face. Do you do those ever?
0: I don't do those, but I think those could work just as well. Yeah, it's a lot about moving your face, right? Just being able to get some like some kind of flexibility in there and moving the muscles, warming them up. So I think all of those work the same way.
1: Do you have any favorite tongue twisters to get the audio and tonality to tune in correctly?
0: No, but I love saying the words fallopian tube. <laughs> <laughs> fallopian tube. Okay, I like that.
1: There's, you know. <laughs> That's almost that's good. I haven't done that one too often, but yeah. But, that's it though. Yeah. So toy okay. boat is one of my favorite. Try to say toy boat three times. You don't even have to go fast, just three times. Try. Toy boat, toy boat, toy boat. Shoot, you're pretty good, but this is making sense because you're a pro here. Anybody else, I want you to try to say toy boat three times and you can't get past you. It's like toy boat, toy boat, toy, uh, yes. Then there's like, you know, you know you need unique New York, all that kind of stuff to get your face scrunched. Yeah. But this is good. So what I love about this, this is and I can imagine all of the sisters in the sisterhood like breathing together and breathing together and, and and doing all this stuff. Are these fundamentals that you teach in the groups?
0: Yep. Yeah, we do them in our warm-ups before people give speeches. We do power posing, we talk about how to stand so that you have a good foundation and you don't fall over or feel off balance while you're speaking. Yeah, we do a lot of breathing, a lot of meditation cuz it's a lot about just getting getting that silence, that quiet before you jump in there and feel totally chaotic.
1: And what a nice ninja tool when it comes to speaking, because I was talking with somebody the other day and there's this fear, right? Yes, it's fear and it's overplayed, but it's it, people keep saying it because it's true. But I like to think about, you know, that fear is always there. I mean, if I get up on stage in front of a two to a hundred people to a thousand, there still is some sort of like fear. It's like human nature, but you're having these tools that counteract that. And it, it almost seems like I don't know. I want to think of them as like bravery tools. Yeah. The bravery breathing tool and the bravery tool. It's like you, (laughs) it's like, if you're going to go to battle, it's like the more equipped you are and the ready you are like a professional athlete doesn't just go run the sprint without ever stretching, but we just don't think of speaking as this physical physicality, but it's your face that's being physical. So you got to work it out too.
0: Yes, exactly. I love how you come up with all these things on the spot. Yeah. You should work in advertising.
1: And, you know, I kind of do, but not really. I, I help people advertise themselves by building their own brands. Because it's one thing to give a, a speech on a topic. It's another thing to talk about yourself. And that's something yeah. that I'm excited about because people, I feel, are terrible <laughs> about describing themselves. Well, let's go to maybe a medium. So we're all warmed up. Our face is ready to dance. And we're on stage what about some tactical pieces of advice for speaking when you're giving that talk? What's What are some of the common mistakes or some advice that can help move the needle for people when they just hear it come out of your mouth?
0: Well, first off, you have to recognize there are people sitting in front of you. And you may have practiced your speech hundreds of times by yourself at home and had the whole thing mapped out. But you have to read your audience and recognize whether or not your content is falling the right way. And that means you'll notice if they're laughing at your jokes. You'll notice if they're yawning or if they're looking at their phone or looking at the clock. You'll notice if people are raising their hands when you ask for a show of hands. And if people don't seem engaged, you have to do something to change the environment, to change the momentum or lack of momentum in the talk in order to get them interested. So for example, I had to give a morning talk. It was like 7:30 in the morning at a chamber breakfast. And they typically meet at that time of day, but it was the day after a big snowstorm. Everyone was really tired. They were just kind of like there because probably because they had to be. And I could tell that the energy was really low in the room. So I couldn't just give a straight presentation. I had to do something that would help get them energized and awake and involved and make the best use of the time. So I shifted the whole presentation into an interactive workshop. And I pulled out three or four different exercises I had done in the past. And I instead just had them do exercises. And then we discussed what we learned. And then we did another exercise and more discussion. And everyone was laughing and they were really engaged. They were having fun. And that was a really good use of everyone's time because it just came down to me noticing that this group does not want to sit and stare at PowerPoint for the next 45 minutes. They just don't. Like you can see it on their face. They don't even have to say it. So as the presenter, it's my job to be the architect of the experience. And if I'm not paying attention to my audience, I can't be a good architect. And I think that awareness is what makes the best speakers the best because they know that they're doing the best thing for their audience by paying attention to them and creating something that matches their energy level.
1: And what I I hear about that is that there's some, this feedback loop, which makes it so that you just don't go up on stage and do a broadcast. That... A speech is essentially an interaction. There's this two-way street, and you've got attention, and you've got your talk, but the ability to sort of adjust on the fly by being aware of who your audience is, I think that's key because when the bright lights are up there, and then you just know what you've rehearsed, and then I've had many people who do not read the signs of the crowd that uh, will be just miserably put to death by a 45-minute PowerPoint presentation, and then it just happens, right? Right. So that's good. So this actual awareness feedback, what about, I'm always curious about people, how they start off the show. I mean, you realize that you needed to change your whole program. Do you have any advice for like really cool intros or the flip side, which is really cool exits, anything that you help people with or something that's worked for you?
0: Yeah, my greatest weakness is the first two minutes of my talk. (laughs) (laughs) That transition from sitting in the audience or backstage And then getting up on stage to start talking is the scariest for me because I I know that it's going to be fine, but my stomach is in knots and my heart is racing and I feel like I need to get into the groove and it's going to take me a little bit of time. So I have stopped trying to just walk up on stage and give a speech. Instead, I get everybody up out of their seats and we play a game right away. Okay, We do an icebreaker like in the first two minutes. And so I do a lot of games from improv that usually last anywhere from 3 to 15 minutes, depending on the size of the crowd and what I'm trying to teach. And since I teach public speaking, I pull some of the principles from improv, which is about how to trust yourself, how to trust your audience. And I use the game as a teaching tool about public speaking.
1: That is definitely a way to cover up your weakness. (laughs) I like that. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? But... I think people are scared uh, just in general, but it is—it's sometimes more frightening to be that person who's up on stage, being like, "All right, get up out of your chairs." And you've been in the audience, and you know, oh my gosh, what are they going to make us do? <laughs> what, what's one example of something? Because not everybody's in improv, not everybody has had that opportunity, not everybody is has you know the, the gall and the bravery to do that. What is one simple, maybe towards the shorter time frame of audience engagement that? could technically work more times than not.
0: I do a game called Snap, Stomp, Clap, and it takes about seven or eight minutes and it requires that you find a partner. So what I tell everyone first off is look for someone you don't know and you don't have to get up on stage with this person. You don't have to give a speech, but you're going to get a chance to get to know them over the next couple of minutes. So everyone chills out a little bit because when you tell them to get out of their seats, you're right. They do start to wonder, am I going to have to speak? Am I going to have to do something embarrassing? And, and so in the game, you, you count to three with your partner, like you go back and forth and you each take turns doing it. And then you kind of like, you go one, two, three, one, two, three. And then in the next round, you substitute the one for a clap and you do clap, two, three, clap, clap two, three, and then you substitute the two for a snap. So you do clap, snap, three, clap, snap, three, and you're going through the game and you start to add in this new element of like, you and your partner say, yay, together, anytime you make a mistake. And so you start to re uh, re kind of change what failure means. And you change the way that people are making mistakes. And at the end of the game, you take them back to the first round of just saying one, two, three, back and forth with their partner. So they feel like total pros, because they've now just done this really difficult part. And they're going back to the easy part. And the way that I relate it to public speaking is that public speaking is a skill. And it's something you can learn through practice and by trusting your audience and not taking failure too seriously. And so they've like just done that over the last five minutes. So it's really easy to say all of that because they just went through it.
1: That's excellent. The first word, though, out of your mouth it might have been a slip. You're like, oh, it's this game I call slap. And I was like, wait a minute, we're going to slap <laughs> each other. <laughs> You took like the the clap and the slap, you know, all together, but okay, that's good. The clap, snap, stomp. Yeah. And you're getting them to physically speak in public together and then, you know, convincing them that they are already halfway there because admitting is probably half the battle, right?
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: So for those people that are in the sisterhood, outside of the sisterhood, but they're getting prepared and they're wanting to use their communication skills to get their message out there. What do you have to say about the process of monetizing that message? And is that something also that you help people navigate through in the speaker sisterhood?
0: Yeah, actually, I have a separate course called the Speaking School for Women. And it's a six-week online course where I teach women how to become paid speakers. And what I learned is most important when you're setting out to monetize your speaking is the answer to these two questions. The first question is, who is in my audience who is my target audience and not just their age or the job they do or the industry they work in but what are their fears what are their needs what are their challenges what are their goals their dreams and if you can answer those questions and really get inside their head and understand what they're sitting in the audience to learn then you will build something of value for them so the second question you have to ask is what problem am i solving for them because you could find out that they have hundreds of challenges in their work or in their life but you need to pick one and become an expert on it. And once you pick your target audience and you pick your problem to solve, you can create content until the end of time and become a thought leader in that area because you're so specific and you've got your clear niche and now you're helping this group to really become successful at that thing that you're known for. But the problem people run into all the time is that they're afraid of picking one of each. They wanna help women and they wanna help dogs and they wanna help CEOs and they wanna help High school teachers and <laughs> want to help naturally, naturally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then as far as the problems they want to solve, they want to help you be the best cake baker in the world, the best basketball player, make the most money, be the most confident. And those things just, it waters down the message. It makes it hard for people to find you and it makes it hard for people to remember you. So I spend a lot of my time trying to teach people to just get the message down to one clear thing and then they can build out from there because the the more specific you get, the deeper you can go into what that's all about and you can spend like a whole lifetime exploring it.
1: Right. Okay. And let's spend a little bit of our lifetime exploring this because I agree <laughs> with those two things. And sometimes people think I'm, I come across rude when they first meet me. And it's more that I just get to the chase and they learn that I'm ginger and they understand I'm a very nice guy. But I will straight up say, you know, before we get in this conversation, let's just get a baseline. I kind of set them up because it's funny, but you know, I really, I, I don't know you, but I don't care what you do. And don't take that the wrong way, but nobody cares what you do. They only care about the problem that you solve. Yeah. So, why don't we try this little new game here? Tell me the problem that you solve without telling me what you do. And it's unbelievably miserable how many people <laughs> will just tell me what they do and not the problem that they solve. Like, it's just, it's what keeps me going. And I've got this whole three and three method to solve it, but this is the core of it. I don't care what you do, I only care about the problem that you solve. And I am really, really interested if I have that problem. So I I love this as one of the main two and the target market. Yeah, that's that there's nothing more important than that. And it comes down to sort of picking that lane. So I want to pick your brain about how you have people help pick their lane and how you help them pick their problem.
0: Well, those three questions I asked myself earlier that I mentioned when I was discovering that I wanted to help women with public speaking, the questions were, what am I good at? Where have I been most successful? And what do people always ask me about? Those three questions came became the basis of helping other people figure out the answers to these problems because there's a lot of insight in those answers the question, where have I been most successful? That points at what you're good at, like what what it is that people are willing to pay you for. And that's important to know because if you decide you want to solve the problem of accounting for small business owners, but you suck at math, is that something you really want to spend your time on? <laughs> no. <laughs> right? <laughs> and so, but it sounds funny, but some people do that. They, they focus on something they're not even good at. And I, re, I have to remind them, you know you're going to spend all day, every day talking about this. And you might want to make sure it's something that you really are passionate about and that you're really good at. And then the other question, what do people always ask you about? That's such an important question because it tells you that other people have noticed something about you and they actually took time out of their day to ask you about it. And people don't typically do that unless they see something in you that they want to know about. And I didn't realize for years while I was giving speeches how many people asked me about public speaking because I wasn't focused on public speaking. I was using public speaking as a a vehicle to promote my business and career coaching. So when those questions would come up, I would just think, oh, these are just side questions because I'm a speaker, so they want to know. But it never even crossed my mind that, oh, I could actually teach people about public speaking. So it seems so simple now looking back on it, but I never stopped and asked myself the question, what do people always ask me about? So just doing this kind of reflection and downtime with a journal and just writing and emptying your brain and thinking about all of the different interactions you've had and the experiences you've had, it will help you to put all these pieces of information together and then look for the consistencies. And you might see something that's been there all along, but that you never even saw.
1: I dig it. So basically finding the magic three questions, which is what you're good at, what you've been successful at. Wait, let me clarify. Is it what you're good at, what you're successful at, and what people are asking you questions? Yeah. Or is it, that's it, right? Yeah. What's the difference between what you're good at and what you're successful at?
0: Um, Well, like what people have paid you to do. Okay. Like I know that I'm I'm really good at cooking, but no one's ever paid me for it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> gotcha
1: all right so you want to find that intersection to where where th- something that you are good at that also is something that maybe is a litmus test of somebody having paid you yeah okay so w- what are your feelings about the monetization process and I, just kind of from a cultural standpoint out there are there any mishaps uh when it comes to the perception of speaking to make money do you find that people think it's a lot easier than it is Do you feel like there's a realistic expectation? Are people just scared of it? What are you feeling? Because I'm sure there's a lot of individuals in the speaker sisterhood, some who want to find success through speaking and some who just want to better communicate with friends. But what do you think is the current state of the union when it comes to the perception of getting paid to speak?
0: Well, I think that there are a lot of opportunities to speak out there. You could speak at breakfast mixers, you know, lunch and learns, after work cocktail parties there are constantly events going on where people can speak but in order to get paid to speak you have to build a platform for yourself and i find that the common belief is that you decide you want to become a speaker and then you set a rate and then you go out and get paid to speak and I don't see very many people do that, especially if you don't have a platform and a following and an established thought leadership in some field. So the steps are figure out what you're going to talk about, start building content around it, build a blog, build a podcast, build a following, then go out and do a bunch of free speaking gigs for like a year and like just get... Just start to understand like what your content is that works in front of other people. Start to build your brand as a speaker, and then get paid to speak. And people don't want to do that much work. Like I don't I haven't met very many people who are like committed enough to that process that they will go out and give maybe a hundred free talks because they want the instant gratification. they they see the people who are making ten thousand dollars speaking and they think, I can do that. And it just doesn't really work like that. I think this is really an industry where you have to pay your dues and you have to really be networked and you have to be on those stages in the programs. So people start to see your name, they get familiar with your work and you become more of a a player in the field and not just this person who shows up demanding money. Cause I think that's just not where this industry operates.
1: I think that's a good state of the speaking union for sure. (laughs) And you should actually... You should come up with a state of the speaking union speech like quarterly or yearly. And then like, (laughs) that's another thought leadership piece for you. I want to talk about this platform thing because it's ambiguous enough to where maybe people don't understand or they take it more literally. And before that, I have a question for you. Have you ever jumped out of a plane? Yes. Okay. So when you did, (laughs) did you choose the round parachute or the rectangular parachute?
0: I didn't get a choice. I was just given one. Okay. Well, which,
1: if you had a choice and you get to jump out of it again, or for the 10th time, would you choose a round one or a rectangular one?
0: Rectangular.
1: Okay. And why is that?
0: I think you can control it a little bit easier.
1: Ew. Yeah. You don't end up in a tree or in a river or on a lake or, you know, in in, in a wire or something like that. Right? Yeah. But it's funny when, when I ask people that question, more times than not, they'll say circular. It's just kind of qu- what they know. And I try to equate that decision between a round or a rectangular parachute I tell people, imagine the word that you have that you're using and it's on a parachute. And if it's on a circular parachute, it's a very general word and nobody knows what to take it. You have no idea where it's going to land in someone's brain. So I think platform is one of those words where it's tied on to a circular parachute mm. and all of the listeners right now, it's like sort of landing somewhere uniquely. So let's switch the parachute out to a rectangular and drive that home. When you say platform, what does that mean and how can people find that?
0: Well, what platform means to me is the different places that you show up. like if like for me, I speak at a lot of women's conferences. So these are my platforms. These are the places I show up and get in front of an audience and I present my ideas. Other platforms are social media networks, like, Facebook and LinkedIn and, and Twitter and Instagram those are other platforms like these are like kind of like physical platforms that you can picture in your mind where you show up and you have people who are paying attention to you but you kind of want to think of them all as one and think about like the influence you have when you're kind of picturing your whole your whole business or your whole kind of vision for what you're doing like you're building a platform so every time you show up somewhere you want to make sure you're in front of the right people and that you're talking about the thing that really matters to you otherwise it is kind of like a circular parachute because you're all over the place and yeah you've got a platform but your platform isn't really focused and it's not going in a path it's just kind of like a random smattering of of showing up places
1: yeah, well that's interesting because when, when I asked that, I, I wasn't really sure where it landed. And I was just thinking social media platforms or like a blog platform. But you you definitely you described it being just a genre that you of audience that you speak to. And so that, that really brought it out as a wider base. But yeah, this this platform per your terms is the physical locations to the online atmosphere to your audience, that's just Is that really your target market or the people around that
0: platform? Yeah. I mean, I'm always creating content with them in mind. So they're the ones who are resonating and and following me and commenting and wanting to be part of it. And every so often I get outliers, but the idea is build things for this one particular group of people. And then hopefully they'll be the ones who keep showing up.
1: And I like that word influence you use as well. So it's almost like the the, a platform that lets you showcase your influence, so it's like a sure plat influence case <laughs> maybe maybe like a an influencer influence form and Inf- we have to we're gonna have to work on that I one.
0: hope you're making See? your own dictionary I really do. <laughs>
1: Now I will. Now I will. Right. Uh, I do enjoy smashing words together and seeing what comes out. Yeah. Well, this is, this is great. I can't believe it's already been sort of uh, as much time as it has been, but we've been sucked into this vortex of the sisterhood, which is a great thing. Thanks. And, you know, any kind of closing comments, and, and I want you to maybe to particularly talk about the importance of women finding their voice and their ability to be confident To jump off the waterfall and have that confidence current carry them throughout what they're doing. You know, if you had to convince somebody that they are a public speaker without snapping, clapping, or stomping, Mm -hmm. why is it so important what you're doing with this platform that you have? And, you know, what would you say to all the sisters out there to join your speaker sisterhood?
0: Well, everyone has something to say. Everyone has a message and it doesn't have to be a message of how to cure cancer or how to get to the moon. But the message is about your experiences and it's about your love and your passion and your story. And that's important for people to hear because it helps to connect everyone's experiences and make us feel like we are more together than we are separate. And there aren't a lot of things in life that give us that same feeling. So the sharing of stories is really important. And when we do these things, we stand up in front of the world and we say, this is who I am and this is what I care about. We start to see ourselves differently. And when we see ourselves differently, we start to see more possibilities and we start to see a different future for ourselves. And when we start to see that we can have more in our life It starts to give other people that same message and we start to become role models for them and then they start to become role models for others. So it's really important work to do, even if you think you don't want to be a public speaker, because it really starts to show you that there's a whole secret life inside of you that you otherwise wouldn't have found.
1: So go find your secret by sharing your stories to discover and hold a mirror to yourself so that you can be the mirror for others. Yeah, I dig it. Well, hey, this has been refreshing. And though I am not a lady, I love what you're doing. And I think that supporting more women to get excited about jumping off of cliffs so that they can have more confidence as they float down the confidence stream uh, lifts all boats, right? So I think that's great. Where do people get in touch with you? I know there, there's this whole sister, I'm sorry, sisterhood.com. But if somebody was going to reach out to you and learn more or connect or whatnot, How do they best get in touch, or do we funnel them all through the sisterhood?
0: Yeah, through the sisterhood's great. You can also go to my website, AngelaLussier.us. I have some of my speaking stuff up there, and some of my TED Talks are on there, and you can learn more about my books. Sweet. All right. Well, this has been a pleasure,
1: and uh, if you see some ginger in an odd-looking wig and has a deep voice, it's probably me crashing Mm -hmm. one of your meetings. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. All right. Well, thank you so much. And everybody uh, join the sisterhood, whether you're a sister or not. And uh, sister brotherhood of speakers unite, because the more we can figure out what we can do to get up on stage and share our stories, we're only going to inspire other people and create change, hopefully for the positive in the world of speakers. All right, Angela, I'm going to unbuckle here and get on with the rest of my day. But this has definitely been I had to sit down for this one and strap in. So tons of fun. And I'm, I'm glad to have you with us.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me, Ryan.
1: All right, thanks. Everybody, we'll see you around. Don't forget, if you like this show and other episodes, make sure to leave us a review. And thanks to all of our sponsors, including Speaker Hub. And let's continue to keep ourselves going up on stage. Don't forget to breathe before you go there and stretch out your face and go. Uh, On the count of three, let's end with the lip thing. One, two, three. (laughs) All right, see you next time, everybody.